Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by investigative reporter Marina Starley Freiker and staff writer Liz Hardaway, as well as photographer Jessica Phelps. They're on the show to discuss the... Oop, there we go. See, they're on the show to discuss the city's continued efforts to remove homeless camps during the pandemic. Welcome to the show, ladies. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having us. Great. So let's um, let's go ahead and get started. Give me a quick recap of the reporting, Marina, please. Yeah. So we actually started this um, back before the winter storm happened. Um, my colleagues Liz and uh, Jess have been working on stories kind of following the city's efforts to continue to clear encampments over the last couple months or so. Um, and this all kind of came to came to a head in early February when the city cleared uh, one of the largest camps under I-37. Um, they didn't know it at the time, but about 10 days later, we would have the record winter storm hits. All of those folks ended up having a lot fewer belongings to really make it through than they would have had had the city not cleared it. We we ended up kind of taking a step back after that happened to try to figure out, okay, how many times has the city done this? Uh, because the the CDC actually says the city should avoid sweeping camps or clearing them out, whatever term you want to use, uh, because doing so can disrupt folks and spread them out into the community and then spread COVID. And then of course, when you have vaccines, it's harder to find them than vaccinate them. So the city has told cities not to do this during the, or sorry, the CDC has told cities not to do this during the pandemic. And we actually found that the city had done uh, sweeps 151 times since June. So that is not quite along those CDC uh, guidelines. I remember that came up specifically because I went down to go see, Councilman Trevino down at the, um, down at, it was right near his field office. Wasn't one of the, one of the, one of the encampments. Yeah. Liz, you can probably uh, talk better about that since you covered that. I don't think that was really like, I don't know if I would call it an encampment. I think he was actually just letting folks sleep there if they wanted to. Yeah. There was about maybe a dozen homeless people at Trevino's field office, just Um, He was letting them stay there. And that same week as the I-37 sweep, um, that Friday, they kind of threatened to sweep the homeless people at Trevino's field office. So we were there at 6 a.m. with protesters and Trevino and his staff um, just to kind of see what would happen. Um, But later that day, Eric Walsh came and they said the sweep was off and I think they're working towards solutions. Um, In the, in the article itself, uh, you do talk to some people who who have experienced homelessness. Uh, I want to talk more like as a journalist, how do you approach that? Do you go, uh, how does that process start? Uh, I'll talk to Marina and, and then Liz, if you guys could talk about that yeah so Liz uh well actually everyone else here I think had been working on it a little bit longer than me but um I guess whenever I approach that situation I approach anyone exactly like how I or a family member would want to be treated so like yes folks are living in public spaces but that still doesn't mean that like I mean they totally have a right to privacy just like anyone else 
Um, and if anything, you need to be much more respectful because folks are so vulnerable. So I think, and, and clearly, I mean, they have a lot of distrust in these systems that are kind of meant to serve them, and they sometimes have distrust in the media too. So I think that really it's just kind of showing that like you do care and you respect them and you respect their privacy, um, and then you can kind of like build the relationship from there. Because I think, uh, I, like, and, and this has been kind of a trend everywhere, um, is, I mean, homelessness in itself is an economic and social issue, but cities have kind of moved towards criminalizing homelessness, whether that's picketing people for being on the sidewalk or sweeping their belongings. So you kind of need to approach it kind of with all of that social and economic context around that and knowing that these folks are really vulnerable. Um, when you go to approach them. Um, yeah, so I agree. You just need to approach them with a lot of respect, like Marina said. And I mean, they're, they're people too. And you're basically going to their home and asking if we could talk to them and take photos of them. So it's just about respecting that privacy. And I mean, also, so we've seen media outlets um, particularly like some TV news go to the camps and just kind of film without permission and, you know, have them in the background and not even talk to um, the people living there. And so I think it's about just being like, hey, we respect you. We want to get to know you and not just, you know, use you as a backdrop. And for the most part, are they pretty receptive to that? Or, or do you do find a lot of people just don't want to talk? It depends on the day. Um, and sometimes you get lucky and find people who are really friendly and want to talk to you, but also sometimes it's just the wrong time of day or, you know, they're worried about um, like police officers or, you know, a sweep coming. So then they're not as receptive. Um, I mean, I have a question for you, Jess, as well. There's a, um, there's a photo that's kind of like the main one for the article. As soon as you get to the article on the, on the website, it's uh, it, I believe it's a woman sipping some coffee and there's a sign in the back that says, you know, take your, lock your car, take your belongings and, and stuff like it. Take like a really powerful image. And, uh, I wanted to know what your process was when you go out and you, and you take your photographs, what are you looking for? How do you communicate with, uh, with your subjects? And yeah, just uh, speak on that for a bit. Well, you know, that kind of, you know, depends from, you know, person to person, but with Leslie, for example, the woman in the photograph, I had met her a few days previous. Um, I just got into the camps one evening and I saw her and a friend at their, at their tents and, um, you know, they kind of smiled at me. So I walked on over and introduced myself and uh, we started talking and I asked if I could sit down and, you know, just sit down right in the dirt with them, um, you know, and just, you know, we just had conversations for about an hour and a half, two hours before I even pulled out my camera. They knew I was with the Express News, but my first goal was to get to know them as people before even trying to photograph them. Um, and so I built that relationship up and as the weather turned colder, um, you know, they allowed me to come back to their campsite and photograph them as they were dealing with, um, you know, their tents had been flooded by some rains that came right before the cold weather. And, um, you know, with that relationship, we were able to follow Leslie as she made her way through the city, looking for a pair of warm shoes and eventually into emergency shelter for the, 
for the duration of the storm. And, you know, so it's, it's based on relationships. And as you do that, you start to watch the person and see who they are and how they interact with the world around them. And it's just, it's about being observant all the time, um, you know, and standing back and being able to, to capture those moments. And, you know, this, she invited Marina and I to, to follow her along and, you know, she just sat down for a snack and that's where she sat down to rest for a minute. And, you know, you just look around and you see everything. And so, you know, pulling back and taking a wider shot was going to be more powerful to kind of show the entire environment in which she was in. And it's, you know, it's just paying attention to those details. I, uh, I love talking to photographers. I really do. I, I got a chance to talk to Bob Owen before he retired. And, uh, I just, uh, I just saw Lisa Krantz the other day. Uh, can you tell me about your setup? I, you, it was, I imagine you're out on the street. You kind of have to have, there's a limit to how much stuff, how much gear you can bring. What's your go-to like lens and body co- combination, just a bunch of batteries. What's your setup like? Um, well, so when I'm, you know, in a situation like this where I don't want to intimidate somebody by having two cameras, which is what I usually go if I'm going to an event or something, I like to have one body with a long lens and one, one camera with a a wider lens. Um, But for something like this, where I'm going to be up close and personal with somebody, I generally use a 24 to 70 uh, millimeter lens on a Canon body. Um, You know, and I just go around with the one camera and a, a small little bag that doesn't look like a camera bag, um, you know, cause I want to be able to put my camera away and talk to people without them thinking I'm only there to get their photograph. Um, and in that bag, you know, I've got an extra battery and some extra memory cards, but I just keep it really light and simple. That's awesome. I love hearing that. Um, because I, I, I you're going into the field and I get it. You don't want to be that intrusive, but uh, going back to the, the article itself, homelessness has been an issue here uh, in San Antonio for quite a while with, and it's come up with uh, Haven for hope. And I feel like it, it, it's a problem that keeps coming up. What, what is, what problems did the freeze really uh, bring to light that, that maybe weren't uh, brought to light before? I guess I'll jump in on this one. I mean, I think to some degree, it's kind of like the pandemic itself. It's like, we just know that disasters kind of widen the gap between the people who have the resources to get through them and the people who don't. So, I mean, for this, it was like, it really sucked to freeze in your house, but of course it was a whole lot worse if you were on the street um, or had to go to a shelter where you were worried about getting COVID and all that sort of stuff. So I, I don't know, like, I don't think that it really showed anything that was kind of new, but it just kind of exposed what we already know to kind of an extreme. Um, and I think the pandemic did that too. Cause I mean, of course, like folks who are on the street who don't have health insurance, who don't have a way of isolating, um, who don't have access to testing, like that's going to be a whole lot worse for them um, than for someone who is able to work from home through this. Um, so I think that's kind of the big difference there is like this has continued to kind of widen the gap between the folks who are on the streets and then the folks who are in power and wealthy who are kind of making the decision. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming uh, come talk about your article. And uh, the one last question that I really had, and I want to hear from all three of y'all, 
is covering these stories and covering it throughout the pandemic. I know like I've talked to Lauren Caruba when she spent like 18 hours in an, in a COVID ICU and, and Sylvia Foster Frau when she was at the border and all these like deeply traumatic like stories. How are you guys taking this like home? I mean, we're all working from home, but how are you guys maybe separating from it? Is, is it impacting you in a, in a different way than maybe it had before the pandemic? And, um, but I'll, I'll let you go first, Marina, but I do want to hear that from, from everyone. Um, I think like right when the pandemic struck, I was like finally getting back to normal after covering Harvey. <laughs> so I like, I would say now I have an even harder time forming sentences than I did like a year ago or two and writing is a lot harder. Um, I mean, you kind of just try to be really gentle with yourself, but yeah, it, it, the, the last year, I think everyone can say has really sucked. So I have a dog at home and he is like my little therapist. So that's very helpful. <laughs> your dog has, has been your lifeline. He is my lifeline. <laughs> um, so I try to, you know, make sure that every day I take some time out for myself, whether that's um, hitting a, a heavy bag or, you know, cooking a meal, just something that's just for me that, you know, lets me, kind of decompress and get out of work mode so that I can keep enjoying my life. I think that's a good place to end it. I really appreciate y'all being on the show and just uh, talking to me um, and giving me some insight because I, I just, I love talking to you guys about this. Thanks so much for having us. Aww. We love talking to you too. <laughs>